Hi guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Ken Kelly, who's the president of Kelly Roofing and Energy Saving Solutions. As an industry leader, Kelly Roofing is consistently ranked in the top 100 roofing contractors in America. Ken, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Ken, can you tell me more about your background? Absolutely. So started in the roofing business from a very young age. My father had a small family business in Southwest Florida. I remember from, well, as early as I can remember, being brought out to job sites or visiting customers to give an estimate, running to suppliers to pick up materials. Just always grew up in the roofing industry. That's been part of my blood. And then took over in 1993. And next month, I'll be celebrating 26 years as president of the company. And the company started in 1972. My father was a journeyman roofer from the city of New York, came down to Southwest Florida to start a family. And he ran it up until 93. I took over and we're a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger than we were back then. But that same family business, same atmosphere, same community. That's awesome. That's kind of the background. Perfect. So what are some of the keys that kept you in the top 100? I think you've been on that list for a while. Yeah, we've been on the list since uh, I think it was 2003. And I'll tell you, it's, it's not one silver bullet. There's certainly things that we've learned over the years that we believe that are helping us to always maintain that kind of premium status. A few of them are is we really have to look to our core values. One of them is a Kaizen, or it's a Japanese word for constant commitment to lifetime learning and improvement. It's more of the lean principles, but it just means that we're always learning, right? Continuous improvement. So uh, we don't have a system in the company that we're not willing to break or change or improve in any way. And I think that really helps us. It's an organization who's always trying to get better. And that commitment to always look for the best thing and, and always provide the best value. And I think that helps us, at least in the eyes of our customers and, and of course, to our employees as well. Um, another thing is we're always doing what's right. So unfortunately, there's some contractors who get themselves in trouble if they, uh, they try to cut corners. And especially if you're trying to start out in, in business, uh, that will eventually catch up. There's only so long you can get away with not paying workers' comp or paying your guys under the table or not using quality materials. We've been around long enough to see rubes come through a cycle two and maybe even three times, especially after storms. And we know what it's like to have to go back out and fix something that just wasn't installed correctly. Mm. Uh, It happens to everyone, no matter how good you are. So doing it right the first time, that really helps to ensure that you're going to be there long-term and you're going to continue to grow. And the last one is we're a family that just loves helping people. It's not a family that just likes helping our customers. There's a real important distinction there. We help each other. We help our community. We can help our vendors, of course, our customers every day. But uh, anywhere we can, the environment, whatever, whatever area we can be of help, that's where we're going to try to try to help out. And that drives us. It gives us a purpose bigger than ourselves. So I think those three things, if you put them together, uh, they're probably the reason why we've been consistently as one of America's top 100 roofing contractors. Nice. I like those areas that you identified. I'm going to dissect those out a bit. 
Let me sort of go to some of the that sort of continuous improvement stuff. Can you name some of the innovations or improvements that you sort of broke down and improved? Like, what are some significant ones? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's one that happened not too long ago. We were affected by Hurricane Irma, which hit September 10th, 2017. And we had a system where online, we took our website down and we replaced it with a one page. Here's how we can help you who may be affected by the storm. And it was really simple. We offered three different offerings. One of them was a free estimate. One of them was an inspection. And the other was an emergency repair. And right off the bat, everything sounded great, right? That's a real good improvement. We were hit by a storm. We knew this was going to be a need. And it was very simple. The customer could go on, they could put in the credit card information. It really helped. It wasn't until about three weeks after the storm and 26,800 requests for service later (laughs) that we realized that that form fill came to an email box. And we, we just assumed, right? We just, everybody's going crazy. So here you have all these emails coming in. What do you do? You put you throw people at it, right? So we grab employees and we said, hey, we need you to take this email. And we need you to put it in our CRM system so that we can schedule the work and get it completed or the estimate or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. It wasn't until about three weeks later that it dawned on me, why doesn't it go into our CRM system automatically? Right here we have these people <laughs> working long hours and, and just killing themselves to do ridiculous data entry. When we could have just in a very short period of time, I think it took me about four hours, I wrote the code. And now anytime anyone fills out anything on our website, it just goes right into our CRM system automatically. No duplicate entry. So little things like that happen all the time. We have meetings every week in each one of the divisions. And everybody has the opportunity to bring something to the meeting that they want to discuss, whether it's improvement or a problem, whatever it happens to be. And we pride ourselves on taking those ideas formulating them, putting a solution in place to either take advantage of an opportunity or to fix an issue, and then immediately get that fix into place. And when you are running a company and you and your executive leadership team are coming up with these ideas, there's no question there's value there. But when the frontline workers feel empowered to come up with their own ideas, and they bring them to the meeting, and hours or days later, they see their idea into the new work process and everyone's leveraging it, that really fosters a lot of innovation, really helps to further the, the company at a much faster pace. That's true. It's just not like a suggestion box where just something goes in and disappears. <laughs> they don't know what happened with it. Right. <laughs> so did I hear you correctly? You said you, you coded it yourself. Do you sort of have a programming background? Not necessarily. So my story of getting the industry is a little unique. When I was growing up, and I watched my father run this business, the images in my mind as a young child weren't glamorous, right? They weren't the the guy running a big business or anything like that, because that's not what it was. It was a one-man operation or maybe just one or two employees. It was a very small family business. And most of the work he did himself. So my memories of what running a roofing company looked like were dad coming home with hot tar burns on his hands and his Mm -hmm. knees and his legs, having to use mayonnaise to put it on the burns because it would peel the tar off while the egg whites and the mayonnaise would soothe the skin and and help with recovery, right? I would put the cold compasses on the back of his neck and his wrists to help avoid heat exhaustion, right? These are my memories. And my father, who was a journeyman roofer from the city of New York, he knew roofing. He was an expert at doing the trade, but 
the idea of the business back end to him just seemed like paperwork and it wasn't really his forte. He was a very much a hands-on kind of guy. And when I went into high school and started having a choice of what classes to take, Hmm. I filled my electives with classes that I thought would help him, hence the family. Hmm. So business law, accounting, computer programming, so forth. And it's crazy because I thought that I would just pass that along to him (laughs) on our morning drives to school when he would go to drop me off. And what I didn't realize is kind of a turning point in my life, my career, was a few weeks after graduating high school, I was working with him on a roof. I was getting ready to go to college. I figured I'd work this summer and just make up a couple bucks before heading off to college. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, my dad and I were tearing off a shingle roof together and I watched him right in front of me slip on some loose granules and fall off the roof. He went head first, oh. put his hands out to break his fall on an eight-foot drop onto a concrete patio below. And when he fell, the impact crushed all 28 bones in both wrists. So he was unable to work for about two years. And hence, I took over the family business at a very young age, 17. Wow! And that that was kind of a a life-changing event for me. But more importantly, it made me realize just how important those classes, those elective classes that I took in high school that I would call on, one of them being computer programming, Mm-hmm. I remembered a few months prior to that event, Hurricane Andrew coming through Miami in 1992. Mm-hmm. And my father, who asked me if I would work with him for a couple of weeks before going into my senior year of high school, and I told him I would. What he wanted me to do was to use some of that computer knowledge to help him produce estimates faster. Mm. What he used to be able to do was about three estimates a day for regular residential roof replacement. Yeah. With the computer program that I wrote, the first version of CauseFinder, and then since uh, a proposal template program using the Microsoft stack, Microsoft Office product, he was able to increase that tenfold. He was doing about 30 estimates a day after. So it it was very early on that I realized how technology could become an accelerator. It doesn't replace anyone. It doesn't make things better necessarily. It just is an accelerator in making things a little easier. So hence why... Technology is still to this day a big part of what we do. Wow. That's a, a big, big change there when you're talking about being 17. What, what was it like the, the first couple of years? I mean, you're, you know, your dad just got hurt and you're, you're sort of thrust into this position. What those first couple of years look like? Yeah. Um, you know, when you're that young, yeah. it was very much a macho event. It was very much, hey, look at me. I'm running a business. I, aren't I cool? Everyone's going off to college and and I'm in the real world. Mm -hmm. But there's a sense of reality. At that age, you don't really feel it like you would later on in life when you have a lot to lose, right? So Mm -hmm. I really didn't see it as the challenge, the responsibility, taking care of the family, plus trying to run a business. I didn't see it as all that. I just saw it as something I needed to do and it was fun. I really, really enjoyed it. What I didn't realize at the time when I first took over and started providing for the family is that the girl I was dating turned up pregnant. Mm. So it was like a double whammy. So now I got a kid on the way and things got real. And now I've got a ton of additional responsibility. So then I said to myself, I got a fight or flight situation here. I can stick in here and I can make something to myself and make this my career and, and uh, do it the right way and, and grow this. Or I can just kind of run from it all and, and say, no, I, I didn't sign up for this, go to college or, or whatever. You know? 
and I, I never ended up going to college, but I did did hang in there. And I just started building a business, and I changed a bunch of things. And fortunately, a lot of them turned out good. Some of them didn't. But it, my motto is: if we learned from it, it was an, it was a mistake worth making. That's the best way to learn. And, and you know, I certainly did. I've, I've got a good twelve or fourteen doctorate degrees from the school of hard and hard knocks you know I, I, unfortunately for me it took me failing two or three times before i really got the lesson learned but here we are today we've got a, a pretty good system and, and a great reputation i feel very fortunate to have gone through that i wouldn't have changed the thing you know it happened the way it was supposed to yeah no it makes sense you talked about some hard lessons i mean as entrepreneurs we're all learning uh, lessons all the time which uh, lessons stood out like which which one of those tough lessons really stood out as ones you needed to learn and were looking back really important for you? <laughs> so I think those lessons early on helped to formulate what later became our core values. There's no question that you can see a piece of like a story connected to each one of them. Mm. For instance, I'll give you an example. Here's one where doing what's right, how we explain that. And here's the story from, from many, many years ago. We went out to give an estimate. And when we were out there, this is my brother, actually, who, who went to give this estimate. And the gentleman said, listen, I've already gotten two other roofers out here. They know the leak is right here at the base of this valley. The price is 750 bucks. I heard you do some pretty good work. So if you can match that price, the job is yours. So my brother says, well, I need to get in the attic. I just want to check and make sure that's the exact spot. The guy kind of gave him a little attitude and said, you know, the other roofers didn't need to go in the attic. What makes us so special? Don't try to sell me anything. He's like, no, 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 I just, I just want to make sure. So he goes in the attic and he finds out that the leak was actually up further in the valley. It wasn't the base that was leaking. It would just happen to be leaking in at that spot. And if we had fixed that one base area, the leak would not have stopped. It would have continued. And when he came down, he told him this, and he gave him the price of 2600 bucks to do the whole thing. The guy freaked out, started cursing, kicked him off the property, end of story. Yeah. What we didn't realize at the time, until a couple of weeks later, I received, or actually, I think it was more than a couple of weeks. I think it was a couple of months later. I received a survey response yeah. from this customer. I didn't know who this customer was. And the survey quote w was very impactful to us. And it said, I went with another roofer and paid the ultimate price. I should have picked Kelly from the beginning. So I ran to my brother and I said, what does he mean by this? And he tells me the whole story. He says, I didn't even know we got that job. And what had happened was he went with the other, one of the other roofers. Sure enough, the first rain that came by, it leaked again. And they called the guy out and he says, oh, sorry, it must be in the whole valley. It's going to be more money. And the guy says, forget it. I'm going to call Kelly. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's one of those stories, right, that, that really make an impact on you. That means something. So we now know from that day on, we're not going to sell something that doesn't need to be done. You're, we're going to sell what somebody either wants, needs, or deserves, nothing more, nothing less. And we're going to make sure that we always have enough money to the penny to give them the job right to make sure that we're going to be here to follow up with any type of guarantee or service that we promise to them. You know, we're not going to overcharge. We're not going to undercharge you. It's fair across the board. doesn't matter who you are, where you are. It's, that's just the way we operate. We always do what's right. Great. That's a fantastic story. Very memorable. You mentioned helping in different ways with the community, the environment. We love environmental stuff. Can you explain what sort of things that you're sort of involved in there? Absolutely. So, Back in about 2006, 2007, the green movement really took off. And we realized at that time how important roofing or roofing-related industries are in this whole green 
envelope, right? If you think about mm-hmm. how much of a, a building is exposed to the sun and how the sun can either create heat or, or the, uh, the adverse. In Florida, we think more about heat, so I'll, I'll talk along those lines. We realize how important is reflectivity, insulation, ventilation, those type of things are to a building envelope and saving energy and, of course, longevity and sustainability and everything else that goes into the green movement. So we made a conscious decision that we were going to approach our sales and our education efforts along the lines of green. We had a a new ad campaign and slogan that came out called Go Kelly, Go Green. And we really felt like this uh, brought a lot of value to our customers and, of course, uh, value to everyone by doing our part to save a small piece of the planet. Uh, To this day, the movement still continues. It's not quite as earth-shattering as it was back then because now I believe everybody pretty much has the mindset they're going to do what they can to try to help the environment. And so it, it's somewhat expected. But to give you an idea, last year alone, 260,000 pounds of recycled material. And people don't realize is that if you look at all the landfill space throughout the entire continental United States, 5% of it is made up of roofing debris. These are old roofs that are torn off, disposed of, and left in the landfill. 5%, that's quite a lot. And we can do our part to take that debris and turn it into roads, for instance. That's, that's one of our initiatives, Roofs to Roads. That can make a huge impact. So all of our concrete roof tile is crushed up and it, created, it creates aggregate. All of our asphalt shingles and, and flat roofing membranes, asphalt materials are, are ground up. They're melted down and they're used to repave roads. Very nice. I, I saw something on your profile and maybe you can explain to me something about containers and sort of doing something with that initiative. Yeah. Hope Contained is an organization that was started by a guy named Russ Lambert out of Dallas, Texas. So I was leaving LAX on an airplane, ended up sitting right next to him. He had just come from China and he was feverishly drawing what looked like a roof. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, sorry to interrupt you. And <laughs> I know this sounds like I'm being nosy, but it looks like you're trying to draw a roof and you've done multiple versions of it. I happen to be a roofer. If there's anything I can help you with, please ask. And he says, oh my gosh, you know, the Lord put you here. <laughs> I, I left Shanghai uh, about 24 hours ago. And when I was leaving Shanghai, I just had this envision in my head of all of these shipping containers that I saw right before I departed the airport, just stacked to the sky. And it reminded me of the times that I spent in Central America trying to build homes for those in need. And I thought, what an amazing opportunity to take these shipping containers at end of life and convert them into homes. So I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, what's with the pitch roof? We could just use the flat roof. And then he talked, anyways, by the end of the flight, we pretty much had the roof system designed. It was going to be a water collecting cistern. It was going to act as an insulating barrier. It was going to be highly reflected to help with the cool, to keep things cool. And it was going to provide water for drip irrigation and for use, whether it was uh, showering or cooking and so forth. So we developed a friendship. And he put me on the board. We developed a prototype. And then right after our prototype was just about finished being tested, the earthquake hit in Haiti. This was back in 2008. And we immediately saw there was absolutely a need. So we partnered with Textainer, Living Well, and a couple of local church organizations out of Dallas to help uh, provide some seed funding and Habitat for Humanity. We used their model where we... Uh, use sweat equity for those who are going to benefit from the home. And we always titled the home in the matriarch. And we started building. Had some lessons learned, uh, how the government is really not that helpful 
in Haiti. So we would bring a lot into the Dominican Republic and then truck it across the border. Mm. We set up in a Catholic monastery who basically said, you can have the whole back half of our uh, courtyard area. And we created this build cycle and we had almost like an assembly line. It was amazing. It was a phenomenal opportunity. And then I've been back a number of times since to make sure that things are still going well and to help with some design ideas and to see how they're performing years later and so forth. So really exciting. Not much that I, I do anymore. I just get called in occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat self-perpetuating now. We have build sites in Haiti still and then in Mexico. But it's a really cool concept and I was glad to be a part of it. That's awesome. Now, you've been involved in the roofing industry a long time. What sort of uh, innovations that you see out there right now really excite you? Well, I would like to say that Elon Musk's Tesla roof Mm. is exciting. I think it has some challenges yet. And I don't know how long before that actually takes off or, or is available mainstream. What I will say is I think when solar gets to $1 a watt and is both the photovoltaic panel and the roofing material itself. Mm. Okay, when it reaches that magical point, I think we would hit critical mass. I think we would have wide acceptance and availability. And all of a sudden, power will be much less expensive and much more readily available for everyone all over the world. But that's, I believe, what it's going to take. So I'm really excited about that. More local down to earth, when I get excited, I think about automation. Mm. I think about augmented reality. I think about artificial intelligence. I think about how software and computers can help us continue to improve our lives, make things easier for us, take care of some of the mundane tasks that tend to bog us down on a regular basis and really just be this silent assistant. It's going to take a little bit for everybody to kind of catch on to this, but I believe there's an intrinsic value that comes from having your little silent partner helping get you through life and keep you on top of things. I think it makes us more productive, more beneficial to society with very little to no impact on the rest of the world. So I I continue to play in that arena, dabble with it, and I'm excited about the opportunities. Very cool. How about the challenges you see within the the roofing industry? Labor is going to continue to be a challenge for us. Mothers don't let their sons grow up to be roofers. Mm. I never growing up said, I want to be a roofer someday. I put my time in. I did 15 years on the roof. I know what it's like. It is hard work. And there are fewer and fewer people who are willing to do it. So the challenge is going to be creating roof systems that are extremely easy to install Mm -hmm. or robotic systems, automated systems that will do that. A lot of the manual portion of it for us, because whether it's people not being willing or people not able to migrate to the areas where the work is, whatever the challenge is, it's a people factor. And it's just not a lot of people who are willing to do that type of work the way it's being done today. The good news is, little by little, we have been making improvements, innovations in the industry. And what used to take uh, twice as many people, twice as long, is, is now obviously to have as many people half as long. So we continue to bring that down. And I, I, I hope that it continues in that direction. I think it will. Yeah, makes sense. You're involved in a ton of stuff. What are some habits or routines that keep this all sort of running smooth for you? Sure. So we talked about Kaizen, yep. right? I'm always improving. And, and that nothing's sacred. So I might have life lesson today and that might fit for me right now. But you turn the page and I'm in a different chapter, different time of my life. And all of a sudden you learn something, you have an aha moment and that becomes the new better way of doing things. So 
I certainly don't want to ever stop learning or improving. So that's certainly one of my more important successful things that I would pass on to anybody else. Another one would be living in a life-tight compartment. I know Stephen Covey talks about this, Jim Collins, you know, all the great. But the one that I like to look at and read and learn about is J.D. Rockefeller. Mm. Vern Harnish wrote a book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, and it's phenomenal because it talks about a human nature component into how we are. And what he talks about is how J.D. Rockefeller had this insight that humans tend to fray at about a 90-day period. Their attention span kind of goes to the wayside, or they, they get stuck in a rut, and they need a pick-me-up about every three months. Because of J.D. Rockefeller, every business in the world now looks at their financials in a quarterly basis. Our stock exchanges, for instance, report quarterly earn and estimated earnings because of J.D. Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. Right? It's amazing what that did. So within my own life and within our business, we have what we call rocks, and they're after J.D. Rockefeller. And these rocks are big improvement items, things that are going to move the needle, things that are maybe a little more earth-shattering, that we don't want to get distracted or lose our focus from because things get busy in other areas of life. These are things that we're going to put first as priority. And less is more. Sometimes I only have one or two, but certainly three to seven is a good range. Less is more. And these are things that we're going to say, I'm going to accomplish it. You set an end date. You live in your three-month period, your 90-day period, and you break it down into maybe weekly accomplishments, maybe bi-weekly accomplishments, and you stay on task, and you make sure you get that before anything else does. And what we realize when we look back after a couple of quarters of doing this, you look back and you say, gosh, the problems that we used to have just aren't in our, our world anymore. They're solved, and they're solved forever. Hmm. We've moved on from that, and we're a different company. We're better, or we're a different person. You know, we're, we're an improved individual. And it, it really helps. So personal time, family time, work time, I, you know, I try to keep that separate. I live in my 90-day rocks. I have weekly clarity breaks. Every Monday morning, it's my time. Nobody interrupts me. I think about what's going on in the world, big picture. I think about what I can do to improve things in my personal and my professional life. I think about others that are around me. And I just have like a blank piece of paper and I just start writing anything that I think is relevant or anything that comes to top of mind. And I look at that later and parse it out, come into zoo, some action items, some things I put into a parking lot. You know, that's good. I'm glad I thought of that, but not now. I'll put that into a parking lot. I'll review that every quarter. One of those items could become a rock a future quarter. And then some items, you know what? I'm, I'm glad I remembered that, or I'm glad I thought about that. That's something that needs to be fixed or improved. And that'll be an action item. And then the last thing, that's kind of like the life compartment story. We talked about Kaizen. The mm-hmm. last thing has got to be travel. Mm. So I started traveling at an early age. Luckily, my parents enjoyed it and they were cool about taking us places. I ended up, I played the viola in high school mm. and kind of took to it a little bit. I ended up performing at that first chair at Carnegie Hall with the Manhattan Philharmonic when I was 17. I went to the Sydney Opera House perform there uh, when I was 14. So I got the chance to kind of travel and I enjoyed it. But more than that, I learned a lot when I travel. And today I use travel to continue to learn. We cannot be arrogant to think that we have solved all the earth's problems. It's just not true. There are other societies that have been around a lot longer than we are. And boy, they've got really cool views on how life should be lived. Mm-hmm. And I love listening to it. You know, it might not, might not be right for me right now, might not be right for me ever, 
but I love and appreciate other cultures, the way people do things. I love people. And then the other reason why I love traveling is because it's a chance to recharge the batteries. We can't go 24-7 and expect to always be on top of our game. We need a constant little refresh or pick-me-up. And everybody has their thing. Some people want to go on boats. Some people like to spend time with family, whatever. I like to travel. And so I do it frequently. I actually travel quite a bit. And travel is so important, in fact, that my fiance and I have a goal that by August 1st of 2030, which is about 10 years or so from now, mm-hmm. we will have visited 100 countries Wow! together. So kind of like a little thing that I threw out there and said, yep, we're going to hit this. And we plan our vacations around it. It forces us to always be in learning and seeing something new that we haven't experienced before. It's, I always have two or three vacations back to back planned yeah. and out in front of me. So tomorrow I happen to leave for France. It's, I'm always doing something and I'm fortunate enough to be able to travel. And I think that being, it, traveling actually puts me in a better position so that I can continue to travel. Nice. Those are, I guess, be my three tips. Yeah. Well, I mean, t- to date, I mean, what's, what's been one of the most memorable locations and insights you've gotten from travel? I would say probably my favorite location is Peru. Out of the world's 115 biodiversity zones, Peru has 97 of them. Ooh. And it's uh, not a big area. So you can travel from high alpines to deserts to rainforest. The Amazon starts there, for instance. Ocean. They have everything. They have their own Galapagos. They've got Machu Picchu, the Nazca Lines. They've got tons of history and heritage. They think of population prison. They're just a real interesting culture. The food is amazing. The dollar goes a long way. So strongly recommend it to anyone. Great for families as well. It's, it's really a phenomenal place to visit. Learning, I would say history tends to repeat itself. So I love Europe from a, a standpoint of learning, right? Mm-hmm. The, whether it's the wars, the world wars, and the personalities behind how those wars started and how they were won and how they were lost, learning to make sure that history doesn't repeat itself, I think is very important for all of us to be cognizant of. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of heroics that go into uh, changing the society, whether it was Voltaire in France that led to the French Revolution because of taxation of the bread and butter. Or if you, for instance, go down into Italy and how the church morphed and changed and created a society, right, that very much revolves around it. I just think that's a great place for learning just because of the history for Western civilization. And then if you want to take how we think of things and turn them upside down, well, then I'd have to say the Orient, Mm -hmm. Asia, whether it's uh, China or Southeast Asia, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Thailand, fantastic for learning how to think of things differently. Mm -hmm. So for most Westerners, for instance, if I say the three, the number three, Mm -hmm. most people will visually think in their head, literally drawing a number three. Mm -hmm. But for most people like an Oriental descent, Mm -hmm. they think three separate objects. Mm. And because of that abstract thought, you know, because it's a physical worldly relationship in thought, there's an argument they may be better at mathematics than we are, or maybe construction, for instance, right? Because they think of things differently. They think of them in the real world rather than just abstract. So it's, it's awesome to travel. You learn so much and you can immediately apply that and it, it gets your thinking outside of your own little world and there's a lot of value to it. Nice. I like that. Now, you covered so many 
broad topics. It's uh, been very educational. Is there anything I should have asked you but didn't? <laughs> uh, million dollar question. <laughs> so I, actually, I appreciate you kind of let me ramble a little bit. So I got a lot out there. But I would say there's one thing that maybe we could talk about real quick. Yeah. And that is what is a really good trait for anyone who wants to see themselves as a leader. Mm. And I would say the one thing that I've learned is humility. Mm. We do not know it all. Nothing makes us better than anyone else. And if you really want to be humble, you have to be able to put yourself in anyone's position around you. You have to be willing to sit in their chair or to pick up the shovel or to drive the vehicle, do what they're doing. And only then can you truly walk in their shoes and feel what they feel and see it from their point of view. And it would make that type of mentality, that, that humble mentality, what makes that special is that the people who are able to bring themselves to do that and truly genuinely embrace it and enjoy it, it allows you to bring a lot of value to others. Because from, let's say, a leadership position, you have a much broader view of things. And when you put yourself in someone else's shoes, you bring the world with you. And you really bring a lot of value, whether it's efficiencies or whether it's life tips or whether it's an opportunity for advancement, bring others with you by walking where they walk, by being with them, by holding their hands, by being side by side. And it's unfortunate today that a lot of our leaders, when we think of great leaders, they're not willing to do those type of things. They think mm. they're better than others. Mm. And that's a shame. That, In my opinion, that holds them and everyone else around them back. Nice. Well, you sound like you're doing that every single day. So, And I think the listeners got a lot out of listening to you. So thank you very much, Ken. You're welcome. So I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify. And I also want to thank the listeners specifically that are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, please forward it along and send me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.